This is Zealous, an in-depth look behind the scenes of legal matters straight from the attorneys of Gimbel, Riley, Garen, and Brown. Welcome to Zealous. I'm your host, Brianna Meyer, and this is the place to immerse yourself in the legal world. Today, we're talking about communications during a divorce with Max Stevenson. Max is the newest partner of GRGB and helps clients work through the complicated and often emotional times of a divorce. His practice also includes representing clients in paternity actions, post-judgment actions, guardianships, and injunctions. Max is also one of the premier LGBTQ family law attorneys in the state and was the driving force behind the firm being honored with the Diversity in Business Award from the Wisconsin Law Journal due to his work in the LGBTQ plus legal community. Max is absolutely awesome. He is so much fun to be around. He is so smart. He is so knowledgeable and is so willing to share his knowledge with everyone and to guide and teach people the different areas of of issues when it comes to family law. Because of that, I don't think that there's anyone better to walk us through the very complicated issue of effective communications during divorce. One of the most important things in any relationship is communication, and I think that holds through even when that relationship is ending. Would you agree? Communication is vital to, I think, a lot of different relationships. Including, including attorney-client, yes. Yeah, and and also, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but probably in a lot of cases, you're able, if you're able to have good communication with your soon-to-be ex-spouse, that can be helpful too. Yes, I think, you know, when there's a breakdown in communication, that's oftentimes when relationships maybe start to head toward an end or a finish. Mm-hmm. Um so I think sometimes that happens, and unfortunately, with attorney-client relationships as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but during these divorce cases, when parents or spouses are able to communicate with each other through the process, they get I think they can develop what each side wants better, rather than allowing the lawyers to kind of posture. Mm-hmm. And that leads to happier divorces, if there is such a thing. Yeah, so. definitely. So let's break it down a little bit, because obviously there's you've got to communicate with a lot of different people when we're talking about divorce. Right. Number one, most important, is you got to communicate with your attorney. Right. Yep, and, and communication, one thing that I think is important as a divorce lawyer is uh, recognizing that people are going through a very stressful and emotional time in their lives mm-hmm. and understanding that that affects, I think, retention of information um, as well as like clarity and their thought process of how they proceed in their actions. Mm-hmm. And so I have just accepted the fact that I will repeat myself as many times as necessary throughout a case just to help out with, you know, making sure the client understands what's going on in their case, what's, you know, what they're able to get in court, what the cost of going to court is over certain things. I think mm-hmm. there has to be cost benefit analysis throughout the case. Definitely. You don't want to spend thousands of dollars fighting over pots and pans, right? Well, ideally, I would not want to spend that, no. Correct. You just get new pots and pans. Exactly, exactly. And I'd imagine, too, that with all the emotions, sometimes you need to circle back to topics you've talked about before because someone might change their mind pretty frequently. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, when I first speak with a potential client, I give them 
kind of this open-ended free consult. I say it's a one-hour free consult, but really what it is is if you want to talk for 15 minutes, uh, call me back later. If you want to send an email with questions, mm-hmm. um, because I'm going to try and essentially upload as much information to these potential clients mm-hmm. at the beginning, but I understand that I do this every day and they're not going to retain it. So I always say, when we get off the phone, call me back if you have questions, shoot me an email. Yeah. And I'm trying to build that trust in our communication mm-hmm. before I even get onto a case so that clients feel comfortable. Because at the end of the day, I'm not here to convince clients to hire me for a divorce. I want them to be comfortable right. with who they're working with because mm-hmm. that's, you know, you're dealing with very important things in your life, your finances, um, your assets, and in some cases, the most important thing, your children. Right, right. And I will, you know, I'll, I'll brag for you and say that one thing that I know that you are extremely good at is keeping up that communication throughout. I know sometimes it's easy for lawyers once they're retained to kind of fall off on the communication, but I've noticed that you are available 24 seven to your clients. Yes. Um, and that can, (laughs) that can get stressful for sure, but Mm -hmm. I recognize that that's what I do and I help Mm -hmm. people. I mean, issues with family law come up at all hours of the day. Um, I don't get super thrilled when I get calls at two in the morning, but they happen. Yeah. Um, Friday night calls happen. Holiday calls happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I'm maybe not as quick to respond, but I do respond on holidays and weekends. Yeah. And, you know, throughout the evenings and nights. So um, I do that to, again to provide this level of comfort that someone's got their back going through this process. Definitely, I think it's really important for people to understand that they at least have one person on their side. Right, and a lot of it, I mean, sometimes it's just venting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm not a therapist. You just um, play one on TV. I just play one <laughs> on TV. But, um, yeah, clients, sometimes something happens and they just want to make sure this is, you know, their response is right. And, you know, there's a lot of questions and people get nervous and they think there's this horrible image. Mm-hmm. And, unfortunately, it happens a lot where spouses going through a divorce use anything they can against the other one right and they when you're married oftentimes you know each other's buttons right and so when things you know you're going through this process people take advantage of that and they Mm -hmm. just really just rev people up right and sometimes they sometimes people just need an opportunity to kind of you know diffuse it definitely their grievances definitely and you'd much rather have it be to you than to social media or some public forum right because i think you spoke about this on another podcast (laughs) social media is there forever so you don't want to post things on that but also yeah i mean i don't want a situation where someone goes off on their spouse and someone Mm -hmm. records it or something and it's a whole so just call me and yeah you know i put up with a lot of Let's just say there's a spectrum to emotional reactions to stuff. Yes. And some are very calm and some are not. Exactly. And so and I put up with all of them. So. Exactly. Exactly. Nothing can surprise you. Correct. Well, that kind of leads into the next topic that I wanted to touch on is sometimes when you're dealing with a specific type of lawyer, there are things that are relevant and things that aren't relevant. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like when it comes to divorce, pretty much everything's relevant to tell your attorney. Yes. Um, you know, people oftentimes get embarrassed, they don't want to tell me something. Mm-hmm. And I, I always say, listen, I'm not asking for myself. There's nothing right. you can tell me that I haven't heard, I assure you. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen it all. Yeah. And I'm sure there's more that I will see as time goes on. 
but really the reason is there, like I said, I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of this posturing in divorce cases. And unfortunately in family law, there's a small group of family lawyers who actually care about the law, mm-hmm. care about their clients and proceeding in that manner. And then there's a lot of people who just come in, don't know much about the law. They kind of peacock a lot, mm-hmm. and take this posture of, you know, shouting and screaming and this, you know, pit bull in the yeah. courtroom. It's like, but they're really not because they don't know the law. And so they, they can't you know, be a football. <laughs> correct. So they're just shouter. They just yeah. yell. It becomes white noise. And judges know who those lawyers are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think those are the types of lawyers who kind of get their clients to think something that's irrelevant is important. Mm-hmm. So then all of a sudden my client says, oh my goodness, my spouse told me that I'm going to get in trouble for you know this one particular thing that happened or I yeah. was talking to some other person. And I, that's when I have to calm down and say, Tell me everything so I can mm-hmm. tell you right now, this doesn't matter, this doesn't matter, this doesn't matter. Yeah. And then you can just put that stuff to rest that when their spouse or the parent of their, the other parent of their child brings it up, they know that I've at least mentioned it to my lawyer and they've told me it's not an issue. Definitely. But also, sometimes things are relevant yeah. to tell me because <laughs> they might be relevant to things like placement. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So you mentioned, you know, kind of the dynamic between certain types of lawyers let's shift a little bit to how you deal with communicating attorney to attorney because it's obviously different for every single different attorney out there right there are some lawyers who take this kind of laid-back approach which is Mm -hmm. certain cases it's fine some cases it's frustrating Mm -hmm. Um, and there are some lawyers who take the very opposite of that who Every single day, it's multiple emails, multiple mm-hmm. calls, and it's not necessary. Right. Um, there are lawyers who are very nice and, you know, cordial to deal with. There mm-hmm. are lawyers who are not. Yeah. You know, every little thing is a war, um, and you just kind of have to, I think, build a reputation that you're willing to go to trial on stuff, mm-hmm. um, and that you're not going to shy away from conflict. Right, uh, and I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, Max, but you do a great job of striking that balance between we'll go to trial, we're not going to back down, but I'm not going to be a jerk to you in the process. Yeah, I mean, I've had plenty of cases that have settled, you know, they say on the doorsteps of the courthouse Mm -hmm. as we're walking in for a trial. I've had them settle late at night, the night before a trial. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's fine. And I, I think that goes to show that you're not just going to accept something because you are, your lawyer is trial, um... I don't know, I guess what's the best way to put it, they are afraid to go to trial. Yeah. <laughs> right, or afraid to present a case to the court. Definitely. Um, and you just have to have that willingness and reputation that you will go to trial, and I think that affects the other lawyers. And I, and the other thing is the communication that I hope that other lawyers recognize the fact that, you know, my approach is I'm going to be very reasonable and amicable, mm-hmm. but if I have to fight back, I'm yeah. going to fight back. And if there has to be conflict, there will be. Right. I'm not going to get pushed around. So yes, I have shouted. I have argued. It happens. Right. But I don't, I think it's more effective if I do that when it's important rather than all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, because then it's just, you're just a shouter and it doesn't, it's not as effective, I don't think. I think if I'm calm and agreeable, when mm-hmm. I do get mad, people know I'm mad. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say when yeah. someone always shouts, that becomes the norm for them and it doesn't have the same effect. Yeah, that's just so-and-so. They're a shouter. Yeah. Just ignore them. Exactly. Exactly. So, obviously, 
as attorneys, we always think it's beneficial for people to have attorneys. What is What are some of the positives you see specifically for your clients when the communication is between you and the opposing party and they don't necessarily need to get involved? You know, because the nature of family law is you're in an emotional conflict, mm -hmm. you're dealing with kids, you're dealing with built up marital estates, you know, there's a lot of emotion to get in a relationship with someone to either have a kid or get married to them. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that sometimes there's this tendency we go back to this tit for tat, you did this, you did that, and it can it can escalate very quickly. Right. Like there's a snowball effect. Mm -hmm. And I think allowing your lawyer to do that on your behalf takes not only the emotional side out of the communication of it, but also lawyers provide, and they should provide this kind of grounded or rooted like I'm the rock throughout the store, mm -hmm. right? Like you've got a lot going on, let me help you through it and kind of give you the rational thought process behind what's fair, totally. what the court's going to provide, and then you know, knowing what the courts typically do in contested issues I think is important, so. Right, and I would imagine too that it takes not only you know emotional stress, but any physical stress, I think it probably tones that down for clients too. For sure, I mean it allows them to Again, this goes, I mean, I have clients all across the board. Right. I have some who are very, very involved and some who just step back and say, hey, you do it, you're my lawyer. Mm -hmm. But I do think it takes that element out of there's someone there who knows what they're doing, someone knows how the court's going to respond mm -hmm. to stuff and, you know, is able to look at it from a third-party perspective of right. I'm, this is not my life, I'm going to look out for your best interest, but I don't have to worry about you know, my emotional protection of this retirement account I built up for 20 years exactly. or these kids that we share that mm -hmm. how am I going to, you know, allow this other, you know, my spouse to take half of my time away. That's a compliment, yeah. right? Well, it's their child too. Right, so, yeah. right. And that I can only imagine how you can be so emotionally involved and it makes sense. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum, spouse to spouse communication, because like you mentioned, even with attorneys involved, sometimes you're going to have to talk to your soon-to-be ex. Yep. Um, before filing for divorce, what do you think is the best type of communication? You know, if, they've, if they're saying, we're pretty sure we're going to file, what do you recommend? Do you recommend communicating about how you see things going ahead of time, or do you say, wait for the lawyers to get involved? It's a good, I mean, I think part of the problem is if you, get too deep into negotiating on like financial issues. Mm -hmm. um, people come up with these ideas of this is what we're going to do and they don't understand necessarily how things are divided. Mm -hmm. Maybe one spouse understands it more than the other. One, the spouse who doesn't understand as much feels like, oh, I'm getting a great deal when in reality they're not. Right. Uh, there's this tendency for parties to um, I don't want to say take advantage of one another, but they do. And I think that mm -hmm. getting lawyers involved on the financial piece allows you to understand how the court deals with things like maintenance, which is alimony mm -hmm. and property division. Um, issues with kids, I always encourage parents to come up with a game plan beforehand. That's great. Um, because if they're your kids mm -hmm. and parents know what's best for their kids collectively. Right. And if you can't, even, I mean, even the court system itself tries to foster that. So before we even get into a dispute of what's going to happen with the kids, the parties have to go to mediation mm -hmm. without lawyers. Okay. Um, they have to try and resolve issues like placement and custody. 
Um, and if they can't, only then will a court appoint a guardian ad litem. Mm-hmm. And once the guardian ad litem is appointed, it's you lose a lot of control as a parent and you have this lawyer representing your child. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, the GAL in most scenarios is going to accept if the parents come to an agreement, they'll accept that agreement. Right. But it's just better to start that good co-parenting communication early mm-hmm. because your child's going to be going through this incident, this this event as well. Right. And it's going to be stressful for them. Mm-hmm. While kids are resilient, they pick up on their parents. And totally. so the parents can keep the placement custody stuff off to the side and recognize that they're both parents. They're, mm-hmm. You know, the child is you know, equally benefited by both parents, cases go much smoother. And you mentioned starting off on a good path with co-parenting because the reality is that's the rest of their life. You know, it's not, you're not going to never see this person again, most likely. Right. And I remind parents, you know, you're both parents. Mm-hmm. I mean, this parent, this child looks at each parent as a parent, as a loved one. Right. And so when one parent starts putting down the other parent to the child, mm-hmm. I mean, that affects the, the emotional psyche of the child, right? Totally. And so you just don't want to do that to your kids, mm-hmm. putting them in the middle, communicating through them. Just let the parents talk about it. Let the kids be kids. That's a great advice is to let yeah. the adults handle the adult issues. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned speaking through kids. I can imagine not only is that detrimental for the kids, but probably creates a lot of fights for the lawyers too. Yeah, because it's like... It depends on the lawyer. Some lawyers will say, okay, yeah, what did the kid say? Well, I tell my clients, well, don't talk to your kid as much. If the kid brings it up, discourage it. Right. Because you don't want that to become a habit. Because kids will also, I think the important is, if you have one attorney saying, well, the child said this or the child said that, mm-hmm. kids tell adults what they think adults want to hear. Right. So, you know, a son or daughter is going to tell one parent mm-hmm. what they think that parent wants to hear about the other parent. Right. And then they're going to turn around and say the other thing, the opposite, yeah. to the other parent. Exactly. And it's not because they're playing a game. It's because when kids are faced with they want adults, to they want yeah. to please the adult. And so it's like you're not going to get a fully truthful answer from them. Right. And you're going to be putting them in this internal conflict that's just going to affect mm-hmm. them in such an important developmental stage yeah. in their life. And not that I would have ever done this when I was a teenager, but I would imagine once they're teenagers, they can probably use it. To benefit themselves too. Yes, I mean teenagers are a whole different game. Yeah. I mean, as they get older, you know, even the courts recognize that when they're 14, 15, 16 years old, courts start to lose a little bit of that grasp on controlling kids. Totally, totally. So a lot of what we talked about today is, you know, if things are in an ideal situation. Right. But one thing I want to bring up, and I know it's pretty commonly used, is a tool called Our Family Wizard, and yeah. that's when things aren't going according to plan. Yes, and that's a uh, program. They have an app as well as mm-hmm. I think there's a website that was how it was originally created. Um, parents pay a, a yearly fee of about 100 bucks, mm-hmm. maybe it's 110 or something like that. Um, and what it does is it allows parents to send communications like emails. If you have the app, it pops mm-hmm. up like a text message and it you can't change it. So once you send the message, it's there. Yep. So you can't, you know, modify a text message transcript or an email transcript mm-hmm. or pull from ones that help you. Mm-hmm. There's just a full transcript of communications. It tells when it was sent, sends when someone saw it, when someone mm-hmm. opened it. And so it kind of helps guide parents. We'll use that word, guide totally. parents into good communication because sometimes parents, you know, 
maybe they ignore the other parent and just say, I'm yeah. going to avoid it, just not, and then we can mm -hmm. monitor and say, listen, you have to communicate back. Right. Um, and sometimes parents, you know, get too emotional and they bring up mm -hmm. these bad communication skills where they're name calling or right. there's put downs and it's like, that allows it to be monitored. Not necessarily to get someone in trouble, but to kind of help guide them back to effective co-parenting communication. Mm -hmm. And there's all other sorts of things on that program. There's calendaring, there's mm -hmm. ways to communicate about expenses for the child okay. and monitor it that way. Mm -hmm. So That's great. And then worst comes to absolute worst and there's an injunction and there can't be communication. How do you navigate those waters? Yeah, so injunctions, I handle a lot of those. Mm -hmm. uh, at our office um, and they're not always family law oriented a lot of times and unfortunately because of the nature of the standard in, mm -hmm. the, in those actions they can be weaponized yeah in family cases and that's it's disheartening as a lawyer because it's a tool to protect people mm -hmm. but it's weaponized in family law to kind of try and cut parents out of children's lives right because there is a presumption um, in the custody and placement statutes, especially the custody one, that if there's been a finding mm -hmm. of domestic abuse or an injunction, um, that parent has to overcome the presumption to prove that they should have custody. Right. And so I think, unfortunately, some lawyers are too quick to pull the trigger on, let's go get an injunction, um, when really we could just be helping parents get back to that, like I talked, guiding back to good, effective right. communication. But when injunctions do happen, and sometimes they are justified, I mean, there mm -hmm. are plenty of incidents where spouses abuse spouses and there needs right. to be a level of protection. Right. Um, typically what we do is we, we try to see if there's a way to put an exception within the injunction case that allows for communication as contemplated in the family law case. Okay. And you have to put an order in the family law case that says they can communicate this way. Yeah. That way, you know, with that criminal liability piece on the injunctions, mm -hmm. there's a clear rule. And so that's our family wizard comes in as a huge tool in that type of situation where a lot of times we just say the exception is they are only to communicate on our family wizard right. and only regarding the kids. Mm -hmm. And then that creates a good transcript for if there is an abusive parent or abusive right. spouse, we can see what they're saying. And if they are saying things that are abusive, you know. Right, it's going to hurt them in the long run, obviously. Correct, and and if the injunction's in place, we're not giving them this, like, free... It's not carte blanche. To right, just, yeah. yeah, hey, you can go and say all these horrible things. Yeah. It's like, no, because we're watching. Right, <laughs> right. And, you know, we have quite a few shared clients, and sometimes even in criminal cases, they allow that exception, too, right. which yep. is we've had, awesome. Yeah, we've had plenty of cases here where you and I have worked on mm -hmm. cases, worked on a lot with Jason, mm -hmm. where there's, you know, ongoing criminal cases... Um, they've been charged and, you know, we're going through the criminal process right? and there may be a no contact order Yeah. and judges in criminal cases, I think are agreeable to allowing communication if the family law case is monitoring it. Totally agree yeah. with that. Yeah. That's been my experience too. It's time for the definition of the day. There is a difference between custody and placement, and I don't think a lot of people realize Correct. that. Can you break down those differences for us? Yes, so custody, the full term would be legal custody. Um, other states use custody, I think, as it relates to maybe what we call placement. Okay. 
Um, I won't speak on that because I only practice in Wisconsin, but in Wisconsin we have legal custody, which is essentially decision-making authority that parents have for their kids. Okay. So a couple of examples include non-emergency medical decisions, mm -hmm. um, school choice where the child's going to go to school, uh, whether they can get a driver's license. Those are all custodial decisions. Okay. And so a court is going to typically award joint custody where the parents have to communicate. Mm -hmm. um, in the event there's an injunction or in the event there's um, some other communication issue or they, there's a disagreement, a good, good example would be school choice that comes up a lot right around now right? Um, in the summer, the court will award either sole custody to a parent on all issues, okay, um, which is very, very rare. That's typically when there's domestic abuse involved. Got it. Um, but on the school choice, they may be given impasse breaking authority. Okay. So meaning the parents have to try and reach an agreement on school choice if they can't parent A gets to make the ultimate decision. Got it. And that's the way the court affects or effectively decides where the child's gonna go to school is they don't make the decision, they mm -hmm. give the parent the choice okay. or the authority to make the decision. So. And I'm imagining, especially in Milwaukee, when there's options of where the kid goes to school, it's gonna be yep. a hot yeah. issue. And it and it comes up a lot when parents wanna move, like they, you know, right. they've gotten divorced or maybe they weren't married, it was a paternity action and they're mm -hmm. ready to move on and they're gonna they want to move. They want to be in the same right. city anymore. Well, that you share a child with the other parent who lives in that city, so now that's where it becomes an issue. So. Right. And then what is placement and how does that differ? Yep, so placement um, or physical placement is the actual time the child spends with each parent. Mm -hmm. um, and it's one of the main factors um, and main variables in our child support calculation. So that's, you know, is it Monday? Is the child spending the overnight with mom, with dad? Um, and so we set up placement schedules and that will drive then child support. Mm -hmm. Do you find in cases where the parties are both relatively reasonable that, you know, they're pretty good at working out these schedules or is it always a, a fight? Uh, no, it's, I mean, I've had a lot of cases where the parents are like, we're not fighting over that. I don't want to fight over that. And that's always refreshing to hear. Right. Um, and they, you know, they default to a 50, 50. Right, okay. which is like they each get 50% of the time. Mm -hmm. The law does not require 50-50. It requires that courts make orders that maximize the time okay. with each parent, and then they've clarified that to mean substantially equal. Okay. And so, you know, if you talk to therapists, they'll give you different varying levels on what that means. Mm -hmm. um, but really, absent a work reason or absent, you know, some other issue with, like, availability you're gonna see a lot of GALs starting at like a 50-50 schedule where each parent has half the time. Cause that's how you, you know, mom, if mom and mom or dad and dad or mom mm -hmm. and dad live together, they're gonna get 100% of the time, right? right? Um, if they're not living together, what's the closest to maximizing it's 50-50, but right. that's not necessarily guaranteed. Let's get to know Max Stevenson. Max, I this is a hill that I would probably die on, but you have two of the cutest kids in the world. <laughs> You've got two little boys. Yes. Cal and Alice. Mm -hmm. Fill us in. What are they like? Uh, they are, um, they're great. They are very active. They are really, really smart in their own way. Um, but yeah, they're really close in age um, and they are, they're best friends. Like this morning, Cal got up 
and insisted on waking Ellis up. Because he just couldn't start his day without Ellis. And then the same thing happens the opposite way is when Ellis wakes up first, yeah. he's at Cal's door knocking on the door. Oh my god. Trying to wake him up. And they yeah, they're they're really close, they're buddies, they are they're very energetic. So when I leave here, I spend a few hours before bedtime with them as they're oh, running sure. around, climbing on stuff, jumping <laughs> off of stuff. Um, just, you know. Yeah. Is there anything in particular, like on a weekend, that you really look forward to doing with them? or? They love to be outside. That's and awesome. I just love seeing them in action outside because I just feel like it's good for kids to be outside, playing in the dirt, playing with mm-hmm. stuff, and using their imaginations. Um, they love to help with yard work. I mean, they're definitely not That's helping. That's amazing. <laughs> they're definitely, yeah, that'll change. They're definitely not helping, but they have fun with it. They, yeah. You know, they've got their little toy yard oh, tools, and God. I was cutting the grass last night, and mm-hmm. I, I, my wife, Megan, was outside with them in the backyard, and I turned around, and one of them, I think it was Alice, came walking around with his toy lawnmower oh, to start cutting the other part of the yard. Just so kills me. Yeah. yeah, they're great, and they're about to be big brothers to a baby girl. Correct. Which will be different for us because yeah, two boys. So maybe she'll slow them down a little bit. <laughs> Are they excited about it? Do they really the, understand what's going yeah, on? Yeah, to the extent okay. they understand, they know you know that there's a baby in right. mom's tummy and it's a baby sister, and they okay. talk about their baby sister. Oh, so, so I, you know, to the to their ages, I mean, Cal's almost three and a half. Ellis is almost two. Mm-hmm. So I think Cal probably understands it a little more. And has been through it before. And has been through it before. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think they're excited. They should be. Oh, well, I, we can't wait to meet the baby girl yep. and to have another Stevenson running yeah. around. <laughs> yep. Hopefully she's, you know, we'll see. She's gonna. I think she's going to rule the, the child. Here I am sure she will. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks, Max, so much for sitting down and talking with us and explaining a little bit about, you know, the big task of effective communication during a divorce. For sure. Glad to do it. Thank you everyone for joining us for another episode of Zealous. This series is brought to you by Gimbel, Riley, Garen, and Brown, located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. If you think you need a lawyer, contact us at grgblaw.com. Tune in for our next episode where we talk about the importance of estate plans with partner Dennis Regan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode of Zealous.